We remain standing in honor of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your zeal to accomplish all of your holy will. And we thank you that the promise has come true in the sending of your son to reconcile sinners to God. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, and who was raised again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. We praise you for the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that now, Lord Jesus, that you would shepherd your flock through the preaching of your word. Lord, speak to us. May we hear your voice. Pray that the Holy Spirit will take your word and plant it deep in our hearts and bring forth fruit that is glorious to you. Lord, help us. Give me grace as the preacher. Give us grace to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this Advent season, we're looking at some of the names of our Savior. In Isaiah 9, we have the four names, these royal kingly names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and next week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and we'll look at the names Jesus and Emmanuel. And hopefully during this time as we study the names of our God, that we would grow in our understanding of Him, that we would grow in our knowledge of Him, that we would grow in our love for Him. Last week we studied the names Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, and we learned that King Jesus is extraordinary in wisdom and power. He knows what is best and is able to do what is best by his mighty power. His plans are best, his ways are best, and his answers to our questions and our concerns are always best. But as we study the Word of God today, I want us to look at the names Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And as we study these names, again, the goal is to help us know him and love him more. Our mission statement 
at Bull Street is equipping people to know Christ and to tell of his amazing grace. And we believe that as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the more we know him, the more we will love him, and the more we know and love him, the more we will want to tell about him to the ends of the earth. But how is the child who is born and the son who is given, as we see in this text, how is this child this son called Everlasting Father. How is the eternal Son of God, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, how is he called by the name Everlasting Father? What does this mean and how can this be? Well, first of all, we need to understand that this prophecy in Isaiah is not using Trinitarian language. That's not the language of this text. There was a, a story of a little girl who was sitting down and she asked her mom, she said, Mom, where does poo come from? And her mom went, oh no. Well, God made the body and, and we eat food and he has designed our systems to where our body absorbs all of the nutrients and then, then there's waste and that's where poo comes from. And the daughter looked at her mom with this strange look on her face and she said, well, where does piglet come from? What does it mean that Jesus is called everlasting Father? See, we can use words and have different meanings and different understandings and miss the whole point. Derek Kidner says this, Father signifies the paternal benevolence of the perfect ruler over a people whom he loves as his children. The word for father here is speaking of this paternal benevolence of King Jesus. How he rules and how he reigns as a father cares for his children. It's speaking of the Savior's goodness, his kindness, his graciousness, his tenderness, his care and his protection, his provision. You see, we're longing to be under the rule of a good king. And there were some good kings in Israel, not many. There was one model king and his name was David. But God has promised that there would be one coming in the line of David who would sit on David's throne and rule forever and ever, and this king would be different. This king would rule and reign in righteousness, and this king would always do what is right, would always do what is good, would always do what is best for those under his care. To say that the Lord Jesus is everlasting Father speaks of his 
goodness, his care for his people, the way that he rules and reigns as king, like a father treats his children. Now, you may come to this text and stumble already because maybe you grew up in a home where your father was nothing like this. And the beauty is, it doesn't matter how we've experienced fathers here, and it doesn't matter even if you've failed as a father. The promise is that one would be coming who would be good, always. He is the everlasting father. He always rules and reigns and cares and does for those under his care with acts of goodness and kindness and graciousness. He's tender. So when Isaiah prophesies of the everlasting father, this child to be born, the son to be given, would be called by this royal name of everlasting father. What what does everlasting mean? There's a theologian, John Feinberg, who has a book called No One Like Him, and it's a study of the doctrine of God. And he's got a a wonderful section in this book studying the, the Hebrew understanding of eternality, you know, the eternal God, the everlasting God. He looks at eight different ways that the word, words for eternity and everlasting are used in the scriptures. He looks at how God continues in endless existence in the past and how God continues in endless existence in the future and how he exists endlessly always. He's the everlasting God. He's the eternal God But the reality of his eternality and the the reality of his everlastingness is that he can always be counted on. And that's where you see it in the scriptures. It speaks not only that he exists eternally, but because he's always there and he's unchanging, he can be depended upon always. Many of the passages speaking of his everlastingness are speaking about his dependability. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 to 29, it says, There is none like God, O Yeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So I want you to notice this language right here. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine, whose heavens dropped down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and shall tre- you shall tread upon their backs. 
When he's talking about the everlasting arms, the emphasis is not just that his arms exist eternally. The emphasis is on because he exists eternally, he can always be counted on. He's faithful. He's true. You can depend upon him always. And so he's your dwelling place. And there's a place of safety. And there's flourishing there in a land of grain and wine whose heavens drop down dew. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? So many times when we're speaking of everlasting as a description of the Lord, he, his everlasting arms means he is absolutely dependable. His dependability is unshakable because he's everlasting. And that's exactly what we see right here in the description of everlasting father. It means his paternal care and benevolence is unshakable. It's everlasting. It's absolutely dependable. So this future Davidic king, the Christ to be born, will be called everlasting father because his rule and his reign will be of paternal benevolence and absolute dependability. There's no one like him. This is the kind of king that our hearts are longing for. It's the kind of king that Israel didn't experience, that they were longing for and hoping for, and that God promised would come. And this king has come. He was born as a baby. He was born to die on a cross in the place of sinners to reconcile God and man. We looked at this quote last last week from Jonathan Edwards. He says, He is a king of the most unparalleled clemency and grace. Never was any kingdom ruled by a government so mild and gentle and gracious. He is exceedingly gracious in the manner of his ruling his people by sweetly and powerfully influencing their hearts by his grace. Not governing them against their wills, but powerfully inclining their wills. He works through our hearts. He changes our hearts. He draws us close to himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a description of our king who rules with paternal benevolence. But he's not only called everlasting father, he's also called prince of peace. Notice in verse 7 it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
He comes as the Prince of Peace, reconciling God and man. Paul says in Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are at enmity with God as rebels and because of our sinfulness, He comes as the one to stand in the place of sinners, to bear the wrath of God that was coming upon our sins, to take the punishment that we deserve so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be accepted by God based upon what Christ has done, not based upon what we could ever do. He's the Davidic king, the promised king that would come in the line of David. He has an eternal reign. His reign would be forever and ever and ever. And his reign would be that of a shepherd, a father and a shepherd, shepherding the flock of God in a covenant of peace. Ezekiel gives us a picture of this in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 22 to 25. The promise of God, God says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And in this passage, he talks about the sheep, the, the flock of God being fed, being fed rich food, being well fed and, and dwelling securely because there's a shepherd over them, a prince in the line of David, a king who would shepherd his flock and feed them well and protect them and, and guide them and guard them in every way that they needed. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24, it says, my servant David, again, this is all the Davidic covenant and the, the, the promise of one who would come, who would bring peace, an eternal covenant of peace. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes so they will live under the rule and reign of this good king. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers live, they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It should be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. 
And this promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's the Davidic king, and he's the one who brings safety and security and the provision that we need and the protection that we need and the flourishing that we need. So let me ask you this. Do you know this king? Is he your king? Do you know him personally? Have you heard his voice saying, come to me and I'll give you rest? Come under my rule and my reign and I will care for you and I will provide for you and I will give to you eternal life. So what's the application for this? We know a little bit more about Jesus as the everlasting father and prince of peace. I wanna give us three applications this morning. The first is for you who are here and maybe you don't know Jesus yet. And I say yet with a very hopeful tone because I'm hoping and praying that today that you would come to know him as your savior and king. So the first application is this. You may need to surrender your life today to King Jesus. Today may be a day of surrender. You've seen in Jesus the benevolence and kindness and dependability that you've always been looking for. You see in Jesus the kind of care and compassion and tenderness that you know that you need. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you are separated from God because of your sins. And you believe today that Jesus came to save you from the penalty of your sins and to reconcile you to God. And now is the day of surrender. You say, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you're the one, you're the promised king, you're the Davidic king, the one who would come to rule in righteousness, to provide peace for me. And I trust you today and maybe even now, maybe now you would just bow your head and say, Jesus, I surrender. Come into my life and save me, forgive me and give to me eternal life. The second application would be for those who have already surrendered their lives to Christ, but it would be a call for a greater surrender to the kingship of Christ. I think what we find is we begin to hold on to areas of our lives and we surrender an area to the kingship of Christ. And, and as we surrender that, we're even made aware of another area that we're holding on to tightly that we don't want anybody ruling and reigning in that area. And maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's in your family there's areas that you are holding on to and you just don't want to surrender. Maybe it's a past hurt in your life that you're afraid to let go of, you're afraid to forgive, you're afraid to entrust it to God because you're afraid that they'll just get away with it and your pain and suffering will be meaningless because they just got away with it. And maybe today is a call for you to surrender that area to the kingship of Christ. Because remember, he reigns in righteousness. 
And he always does what is good and right and best. And you can trust him. He is absolutely dependable. He's not only good, he's the best king ever. And you can surrender every area of your life to his gracious and kind rule. Everything that we need is found in him. We don't have to go outside of him to find anything in life. Everything that we need comes through him. So it's only right that we would surrender everything to him. Andrew led us in a song earlier. Take everything, Jesus. All I need is more of you. Take everything. I surrender everything. A third application would be a more intentional pursuit of peace. He's the prince of peace. It would only be right that that we should be the people of peace and we should be intentionally pursuing peace. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, the apostle Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So watch this. This is an intentional pursuit of peace, not only relationally, we'll get to that in just a minute, but internally. An intentional pursuit of peace internally. Paul says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. See, it's not that God takes away the circumstances that are difficult. It's that God gives his people peace in the, mi- in the midst of difficult circumstances. And, and the watching world will know that the gospel makes a difference when we are going through difficult circumstances in our lives with an internal peace kind of peace that is described in the Psalms, Psalm 37, where we're, we're not fretting about anything. We're delighting ourselves in the Lord and we're entrusting ourselves to Him and we're fretting not. The psalmist says it tends only towards evil. We're not anxious about anything because the peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts and he, He's guarding our hearts and our minds. But it is an intentional pursuit of peace. Notice Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, we think on these 
truths found in the scriptures and the God of peace is with us. If we don't fill our minds with these truths, we will find an absence of peace. There's an intentionality in the pursuit of internal peace. We know the reality that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So why are we so conflicted on the inside so many times? Jesus is perfectly at peace within himself. The Godhead is perfectly at peace in the Trinitarian glory. The Father is at peace with the Son. The Spirit is at peace with the Father. And yet the people of God who have been bought by the the precious blood of of Jesus, many times we're not at peace. Why not? We've got to intentionally pursue peace internally, but also relationally. Pursue peace relationally. In Colossians, that passage that says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it starts off and it says in chapter 3, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this harmony, then the next verse it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful we've got to pursue peace relationally with one another in the way that we speak to one another in the way that we relate to one another with humility and meekness and patience putting up with one another that's how we pursue peace relationally In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, strive for peace with everyone. In Romans chapter 12, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. There's an intentionality of pursuing peace relationally and internally. So let me ask you, do you you know this Prince of Peace? Are you at rest in your soul? Have you entrusted yourself to him? Do you know of his love? Are you walking and abiding in his love? And do you know his peace? And are you walking and abiding in his peace? And maybe this Christmas, this Christmas would be the season of surrender for you. Whether it be surrendering your life for the very first time, or whether it be surrendering more and more and more. May the peace of Christ be with us all. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, that as we know and understand you more, I pray that we would love you more, that we would surrender more, or that we would stop striving We would stop trying to take care of everything ourselves. 
Stop trying to control all of the circumstances of our lives that we would just be still and know that you are God and and trust you. We know that as we are still and trust you, we know that you are ruling and reigning in our lives and we will experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So help us, Lord. May we experience that peace in a new and fresh way even today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.